you are listening to Press Church Podcast, please enjoy this week's message. The title of my sermon today is Ain't Nobody Got Time for That. That ain't nobody got time for that. This phrase was made popular all the way back in 2012 by a lady by the name of Kimberly Sweet Brown Wilkins. And she was uh, in her apartment building, woke up in the middle of the night, saw that there was a fire in her apartment building, said she thought somebody was barbecuing, realized it was a fire and ran out. Now at this time, she survived the fire. She's being interviewed by a local news station, and they're asking her what happened. She says all that. She says, then the smoke hit me, and I got bronchitis. And then she made this statement that made her famous, ain't nobody got time for that. Look at your neighbor today and say, ain't nobody got time for that. Nobody got time for that. And today we're going to see the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the church of Galatia, as he says almost the same thing to the church of Galatia over 2,000 years ago. The scripture we're going to stay on is Galatians 2 verses 5, Galatians 2, verses 5, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. Ain't nobody got time for that, Paul is telling Church of Galatia, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But what did they not submit to? What what was the issue? Let's go back a couple of scriptures. Let's get some context on what Paul is talking about to the church of Galatia. In Galatians 2, verses 3 through 4, two scriptures before, Paul is writing and he says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Verse 4, And this occurred because a false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberties, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. And then we see our verse that we're going to be preaching from today, verse 5, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. That some religious people had snuck in to their church these Jews that just couldn't get over how good God was, we see that God was called to the Israelites. Those are his people. He makes a covenant with them through Abraham. He raises them up and saves them through Moses. The lineage of Jesus is through these people. He has this relationship. They want the law. Remember on the Mount of Sinai, they leave Egypt, they go to worship. God says, y'all all all come up to the mountain and worship with me. There's lightning, there's thunder, there's clouds, there's darkness, there's all kind of craziness. And the people said, the Israelites said, Moses, you go talk to God, and whatever he says, we'll do. God says, no, 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 I want you all to come up here, all to have a relationship with me, all to encounter me. They said, no, no, Moses. Like everybody else, we want rules to follow. Whatever God says, we'll do. God says, that's not my plan, but that's what you want. I'll give it to you. Now they have these rules that they have to follow. Now they have these men, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, who read these rules and then make their own interpretation of it. 
that you can go from place to place and they'll read the rules and say, well, the speed limit says it's 35. Well, I believe you're sinning if you go past 35. Well, I believe you're sinning if you go 34. I believe you can sin, you can go all the way to 40 and you'll be okay. That people read these rules, made their own interpretation, and then forced that upon the people. Jesus comes, dies on the cross, saves his people, makes himself known to his people. They reject him. And we see the Apostle Paul show up. We see him being led by the Spirit. He's the one who's going out and killing these Christians, the one who are the way makers, the one who are going out and believing in who Jesus is, that it's different than the religious aspect of what they've grown up in. He's going around, and it starts with Peter in Acts chapter 10. He receives a vision. He goes to Cornelius, who's a Gentile, and he just preaches what he knows to preach. He just preaches out of his spirit what he knows to preach, that Christ died for your sins. He was buried in a tomb, and he rose again the third day. And it says as soon as he said those words, they started speaking in tongues. And he said, wait a second. These people, these Gentiles, are doing the same thing that God gave to the Israelites, so that must mean that God is for them. Who can withhold water from them? Let's baptize them. And we see throughout the scriptures, throughout the writings of Paul, that he says that there was a mystery that was hidden, that was now revealed to the masses, that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, that God has come to the Gentile people, and it's different than how he came to the Jews. The Jews have to abide by these laws and by these rules and by works. They are made righteous through believing in Jesus. But now something happens, something's different with the Gentiles, where he says, you just believe on Jesus. You just have faith on Jesus, and you don't have to worry about the rules. And boy, did those Jews not like it. That ticked them off. We've been following rules all these years, all these years, all these years. And now they start following Paul. They're saying, you have to be circumcised. Number one, if anybody comes into the church, and me, a 30-year-old man, and says, hey, you want to be a part of this religion, you got to be circumcised. Nope, sorry, I'm going to go to a different church. Not going to happen. And everywhere Paul goes, as he brings this revelation, all throughout the, the Gospels of Paul, all throughout the teachings of Paul, he says over and over again, I receive from Jesus, therefore I deliver to you. He's making a, a declarative statement, a defiant statement, that everything that he's preaching is from Jesus himself, and I'm delivering it to you. And now here he is at the church of Galatia, and you read in chapter 1, you read in chapter 2, you read in chapter 3, as Paul is asking over and over again, what gospel did you hear? What gospel did you receive when I came and preached to you? And all of a sudden, these people show up, and they start teaching you something different, and you just accept it. You just receive it. Well, Paul said, i got to believe in Jesus. Okay, I'll believe in Jesus. Well, this next guy showed up and said, i got to be circumcised. All right, get the knife out. What else are you going to believe? And he's bringing correction. He's bringing teaching to them. And he says, even Titus, who wasn't a Jew, got circumcised, and these men snuck in. Paul makes a statement whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. But as soon as they showed up and he recognized, whoa, 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 religious spirits here, not teaching the same thing, not teaching the Bible, not teaching what Jesus told me directly to tell these people. He said, I didn't submit to it. I didn't obey to it. I didn't give anything to it for even an hour. 
why. Why was that so important that he didn't submit to what they were teaching for an hour? Because the very next statement is what? That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So I want to encourage you today as we dive into this passage. Just like Paul, as he preached to the church of Galatia, as I preach to Pretch Church, do not give up today. Do not submit to anything that comes against you in this world, whether it's religion, whether it's the natural, whether it's the bills, whether it's anything that comes against you, don't submit to it for an hour. Don't even submit to it for a second. Don't even give an idea or notice to it. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, we see a story of Jesus. We're going to start in verse 21. We've heard this story before. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. Verse 22, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogues came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Now, this is a ruler of the synagogue. This is a dignified person. This is a, a person who is well-known throughout the community. The synagogue was the central hub of any town at that time for the Jewish people, and he's a ruler of it. He's a keeper of the synagogue. He makes sure everything's set up. He cleans the church. He makes sure the, the communion's set up. He makes sure the chairs are straight. He makes sure everything's ready for the service to start. This is someone who is well-known throughout the community, and he shows up. He sees Jesus, and he says he falls at his feet. In front of all of his peers, in front of all of his friends, in front of all of his family, in front of everybody, he immediately makes the distinction that this man is the only one that can help me in this situation, and it doesn't matter what the outside forces look like, it doesn't matter what people think, it doesn't matter what's coming against me, he's the one that can fix it, so therefore, I will humble myself at him and ask for help. Let's see what he says. In verse 23, and begged him earnestly. Not only does he fall at his feet, it's not like he's just whispering in his ear, hey, hey, Jesus, I just, there's a lot of people around, and, and they know who I am, and I, I just don't want them to hear my business. I just, I just want to talk to you off to the side, if we could just please be, be quiet, don't let anybody know. It says, he begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. There was a lot of people who didn't like what Jesus did. There's a lot of people who were angry at him healing people and saving people and doing things that he was doing because it was against what they believed and what they saw and what they heard. And he makes the faith declaration, all you have to do is come lay your hands on her. You're not a doctor. You don't have any medicine. You don't have any special cream or ointment. You, don't, you, don't, you haven't gone to college to figure out what's going on with my daughter. He just recognizes the anointing and the power in that man and says, all you have to do is but touch her, and she will be made whole and live. And in the middle of all of that, we have a secondary story that happens. We don't have it up there, but it's the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She's working her way through Jesus, trying to figure out where he's at, saying, if only I could touch him then I can be made whole. 
She fights her way through the crowd. She touches Jesus, stops the entire crowd and says, who touched me? And the disciples trying to figure out, is this, uh, I don't know how to answer this, Jesus. There's a lot of people. There's hundreds, if not thousands of people surrounding us. Everybody's touching me. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I understand that type of touching, but there was a power that was taken out of me. Who touched me? The woman came and fell at her feet and said, Jesus, it was me. To go and sin no more, your faith has made you whole. And they're having this interaction. Who knows how long it was? Was it 30 seconds? Was it 30 minutes? Was it a whole hour as they're working through this interaction? As Jairus is just standing there. All right, okay, good for her. Oh, I'm so glad. Yay, amen. Uh, leaning over to the disciples, I'll give you 20 bucks if you can just hurry this up. If you could just move her along. We, we got to go. This is, this is serious. Can we please, can we please just make something happen? He's just standing there. I can see him pacing. I have children. Whenever Noah was younger, I don't remember how old he was. He wasn't probably even one yet. We decided to, to give him some actual milk for the first time. Uh, we'd given him formula. We were uh, breastfeeding. I wasn't. It was her. Uh, we were feeding her, and, and we decided to give him, let's give him some milk. Let's see if we can just give him some milk. So we poured a little milk in there, heated it up a little bit, gave it to him. And, I mean, within a couple of minutes, uh, he started kind of coughing, couldn't really catch his breath. And this is our first child, and we're looking at him, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, we just killed him. Uh, we got we to gotta go. So we're trying to figure out, like, you know, we're Googling things, probably calling or texting people, trying to figure out. There's an urgent care probably five minutes from the house, and I said, let's just go. We're close. There's an emergency room close by. There's an urgent care. It wasn't so detrimental where he was, like, blue, unconscious. His throat was closed. He just couldn't catch his breath, just kind of coughing. Uh, but it was enough to terrify all of us as I scoop him up. As we're praying, praying in tongues, I'm in the back seat holding him. She's driving. We're praying over him, you know, texting our pastor like, hey, we're going. We get there. They said, okay, we'll, we'll get you in a room shortly. You'll get me in a room shortly. No, 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 no. This is not how it works when I feel like it's an emergency with my child. And by the time we get into the room, he's cooing and on and laughing. And they said, well, don't give him milk anymore. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for... Thanks for that. Everything was okay, but in that moment, it didn't matter who was between me and the doctor, who was between me and my Savior, I was getting there. I can only feel what Jairus is feeling at that moment. That's great. I'm glad. I'm so glad she's getting healed. Woo! Praise God. How long? Wow, it's a long time. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Let's uh, get her number. Let's uh, find her on social media. We'll talk to her again. Here we go. And at that moment, as they're finishing up the conversation, I can see Jairus. Woo! Here we go. All right, Jesus, here we go. We're going to make it happen. Verse 35, we see the continuation of the story. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. This is Jesus 
looking at a father who was just told, leave Jesus alone, your daughter is dead, it's time to prepare a funeral, it's time to move on, it's time, you're not going to get your miracle, somebody else already got the miracle, it's not going to happen to you, don't worry about it, it's over, give up, don't go to church anymore, don't talk to God anymore, don't read your Bible anymore, so-and-so got saved, so-and-so got healed, that's great, that's awesome, but your dream is dead. Your baby is dead. There's no reason to bother Jesus anymore. And Jesus says, no, 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 Jairus, don't give up. Do not be afraid. Only believe. If you asked it, I'll answer it. Just keep believing. Just believe that you said if I lay hands on her, I'll, she'll be healed. If we read the rest of the story, he goes into the house and there's mourners. And it gets even worse. There's not people there that are ushering Jesus in. Come on, let's go heal the sick. We're ready for you, Jesus. We've been praying. We've been believing. We've been expecting. We've been singing psalms. We've been praising you. We've been worshiping you. We've been ready. We've got the oil ready for you to lay hands. Here we go, Jesus. Here comes the miracle. He shows up on the scene, and they are wailing. They are crying. They are preparing for a funeral. And Jesus says, everybody get out. Everybody go. Jesus once again says, I ain't got time for this. I ain't got time for all the negativity, for all the people who don't have faith, for all the people who don't believe, because there's somebody who does believe, and as long as they keep believing, then I'm going to do a miracle today. He kicks everybody out, and he says, she's only sleeping. Wake her up. She sits up. Get her something to eat, because God's a miracle-working God. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give and submit to whatever you've heard, whatever you've been believing, whatever the doctor has said, whatever that person has said to you. Don't give submission to it for an hour. I love watching Nature Channel, National Geographic, and I always like watching when the lion, the predator, goes to attack the antelope, or whatever the creature is. I always like watching when the creature actually gets away. When the antelope, the deer, or whatever it is, you can see that lion just slowly going, creeping through the woods, hiding underneath the brush. And that little deer is just hanging out, just knows something's around, but is so thirsty. Just got a drink. If I can just get one little sip of drink, I'll be okay. And as soon as she dips her head in the water, boom, and they get to fighting. They get to going. But I love the impulse, the natural instinct in that animal is to fight to the last breath. At the deer doesn't go, oh, oh, he's got me. Well, here we go. Let me just lay down. I'm just going to, let me not move. Let me make sure the blood goes no, the instinct of the animal is to fight the predator until the very last breath. And it's moving, and it's twisting, and it's zigging, and it's zagging, and it's running. Yeah, it might have got bitten. It might have a wound. It might be limping. It might, but it doesn't give up. It just keeps going and going. And then sometimes, in a miraculous moment, it gets away. Now, that's in the animal kingdom, and we know majority of the time it doesn't get away. But in God's kingdom, it says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It says that he's walking around as a lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
And you might find yourself in a place right now where you feel like you're in the jaws of the predator. Where you feel like Satan's biting, chewing on your life, on your marriage, on your finances, on anything in your life. But I'm asking you to keep fighting today. I'm asking you to not give up. I'm asking you to not submit to that for even an hour, that you keep fighting and you keep believing that God is on your side. He's not on the predator's side who seems to be attacking and overcoming you at this moment. God is on your side. Therefore, I will not fear. What can any man do to me? It says in Psalms. Do not give up. Do not give up. Keep fighting. Keep persevering. Keep believing who God says he is. Jesus himself encourages you today. Do not be afraid. Only believe. There's no other option but believing. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Do not give up. You keep praying. You keep declaring the word of God by faith. It does not matter what the natural looks like. You remind your world what God says and why is it important? Why is this scripture important to us that we do not submit to those things coming against us even for an hour? Because it says the, the next part of Galatians 2 verse 5, the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Well, what is the truth of the gospel? Luckily, Paul continues to explain and write about it in his writings. In Galatians chapter 3, Verses 1 through 3, this is the next chapter over from this passage. Look at Paul and his beautiful language to the Galatians, the church of Galatians. Are you so foolish, Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? What is the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Verse 2, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit of the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Paul is drawing a line in the sand between Jew and Gentile right there. He said, how did you become saved? When I first showed up, he talks about all the way in Galatians chapter 1, he says, when did you start believing another gospel? P.S., there's not another gospel, he says. He says, if anybody else tries to bring you a different gospel, even if it's an angel, a curse be placed upon them. And now in chapter 3, he's rehashing it again. He's talked about it in chapter 1. He's talked about it in chapter 2. Now he's in chapter 3, and he's saying, oh, foolish Galatians, do you not remember when I showed up how you got saved? When the truth of the gospel was brought to you, was it brought to you by faith, by just believing in who Jesus was, or was it brought by the works of the law that these Jews have come in and told you after the fact? You have to make that decision. Because the truth of the gospel that Paul presents to them was that Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. This is a different church dealing with the same thing. 
Ephesians 1, 13. It says, in him, capitalized being Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Paul is constantly reminding as he goes from church to church, asking, how did you receive your salvation? I came, went to the synagogues, went to different places, and I only preached Christ and Christ crucified that you believe in that. Now, I'm going to tell you, Paul's telling him, I'm going to tell you, there's a group behind me. The Jews are going to come, and they're going to tell you something different. And you've got to figure out what you believe. But I'm going to remind you what you should believe clearly portrayed that it's Jesus and it's him crucified and it's him buried and it's him rose again. And if you believe that and you confess that, then you are saved. And if you are saved, you're a son of the Most High God. If you're a son of the Most High God, that means you're a part of the new covenant. And if you're part of the new covenant, everything God has means everything that you have. So therefore, you need to walk in those blessings and not walk by the way of the world. Is what Paul tells over and over and over again. As he's reminding them in Ephesians chapter 1, he continually tells the church of Ephesus, In him you are this. In him you are this. In him you are this. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, we've heard this before. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. Now Jesus is talking to Jews. At this point, Gentiles are not allowed in. In the kingdom, not until Acts chapter 10. So Jesus is having a dialogue with the people that he's been sent to minister to. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and that truth shall make you free. Now he's writing this to the Jews, but us being Gentiles can also take from this and learn from this and grow from this. How shall I know the truth? What truth should I be knowing? Well, he explained that in 31. If you abide in my word. If you abide in my word, that's the truth. And if you know that truth, it'll set you free. I'm so excited and glad that you know whatever you know. But it doesn't help me in my walk. I've got to know the truth. And when I know the truth personally, that's where the freedom happens. It means nothing in your life if your pastor knows all the truth. I don't know all the truth. I'll tell you that right now. I'm working, I'm learning to know the truth and to bring that to you. I can present that truth to you and tell you what it is and what the Bible says. But something happens when you make it personal and you know the truth. That truth will set you free. That it's a, it's a journey that you have to go on in your own life. I can present as much truth as I can on a Sunday to you. I can send you a text, send you something on social media, meet up for counseling and talk. And I can tell you all the truth that I know in the whole world. We can talk for hours and hours. Maybe a couple minutes, there's not much truth, I know. A couple minutes, we can talk. But then there has to be a point where you go home and you say, you know what, what he said was great, but now I need to know it in my life. 
I love, you know, Jairus is sitting there looking at the woman who is already healed, who has been suffering, who has been struggling. She's already healed. She's already saved. She's already delivered. She's received her miracle. And Jairus says, that's great. That's awesome. Glad that she got healed. Glad that she got saved. But I need to know him as the healer in my life right now. That's great that she knows it now. That's awesome. That can help build my faith. That can help teach me. But I need to know it in my life. And then they walk into the house. And now, as she, he is feeding his once dead daughter, he knows. He knows the truth. And that truth has set him free. There is nobody in the world that can come to Jairus and say, Nah, God doesn't heal. Not a healer. I prayed once for healing and he didn't heal me, so that must mean God never heals. No, no, no. Jairus says, No, no, no. I know he's a healer. I know he's a savior. I've experienced in my life, and you're never, I'm not going to submit to that ever again. You're never going to tell me, well, God doesn't heal. Okay, that's your truth. You can believe it all you want. But I know because I've seen God heal. I've seen God heal through me. I've seen God heal people when we've prayed. I know that. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. When I was in college, I worked in a prison for two years. As a prison guard, and we were uh, majority of the time I, I worked in in basically the drunk tank that they would they would bring people in off the street, and we would uh, we would check them in and uh, give them their clothes and strip search them and put them in the system and fingerprint them and and do all those things. And uh, no matter what time of the day somebody got brought in, majority of the time uh, one of the judges, whoever was, was on call that week or that weekend, would call in and provide the bond uh, for the people that came in. And so we would get this phone call from a judge, and I mean, we're nobodies, two, three in the morning, music blaring, hanging out, uh, trying not to fight all these drunk people, trying to stay alive and probably get a burger or something from some restaurant. And a judge would call in, and he'd be like, hello, oh, this is judge so-and-so. Oh, yes, sir, what can, what can we do for you? Did so-and-so get arrested? Uh, hold on, let me check the, the manuscript. Yes, sir, we see him. He came in. What are his charges? Well, he did this, he did this. There's two of these and uh, that. He said, okay, we'll set the bond for this, set the bond for that. And you'd be writing it down, all these numbers, 100,000 here, 50,000 there, 75. Okay, okay, all right. He said, all right, is there anything else? Uh, no, sir, that's good. You hang up the phone. But there would be times where someone would get brought in and a judge would call and he would say, we're just going to give him an ROR bond. An ROR bond means release on your own recognizance, which means that the person in whatever crime they committed is to be instantly released from the jail and not have to pay any money at all. They don't have to bond out. The ROR is their bond. And the ROR means, hey, you're, as far as we know, an upstanding citizen. You're not going to run. You're not going to do anything. You're going to show up to court, so we're not going to make you pay anything. We're not going to put a bond on you. You just get out. And these people would call in, and we'd read off those charges, some a lot stronger than other people, and because people know people, and people know judges, there was plenty of times where I would look at somebody's charges, and they would call and be like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and ROR them, go ahead and release them. But do you, excuse me, judge, do you know, do you know what he did? You want me to read the charges again? Those sound pretty serious. Now go ahead and ROR them. We would go, and we'd get him, and we'd release him. Let him go. Now, you might think, 
one way or another when it comes to the justice system. But I'm thankful that Jesus did that for me. That I once was lost. I once was in bondage. I committed those crimes. I committed those sins. But my judge called. My Savior called. He said, release him. And the devourer, Satan himself, said, but do you know what he did? It says that he, the scripture says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's all he does is accuse the brethren. But do you know what he did, Jesus? Let me, let me tell you a list of what he did. And Jesus says, I already covered that. I already paid for it. I already took care of it. I already made a way where there seems to be no way. You have to release him from the prison jail, from the prison doors. You got him, let him go. Release him on his own recognizance because I paid for him. That's, that is the truth of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. He says, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that Christ died for your sins. You know what you did. Jesus willingly died for those sins. Covered them with your blood. To where it says, his blood is so powerful. That God chooses to no longer remember those. Removes it as far as the east is from the west from you. That's the power and the truth of the gospel. That can save you. That can save all those people that are out there that aren't in church today. And when you get tied down and you submit to whatever's holding you on, and you start dwelling internally. I can't believe I did this again. I can't believe the doctor said this. I can't, I can't believe this. And when you don't make a faith statement and say, I refuse to submit to this for even an hour, it keeps us internalized instead of going out like Jesus has called us to do. To present the truth of the gospel. To continue in you is what Galatians 2.5 says. We're almost done. I'm finishing now. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Say me. Me. And it might continue with you. He's not talking about anybody else right now. He's talking about you. He's making it personal. That it might continue with you. Yes, you. That word continue means to stay permanently, to remain permanently, to continue. That the truth of the gospel might stay with you permanently. That you don't fluctuate, you don't doubt. That it remains with you permanently. That you can continue on with life. That you're not just hindered at this moment, at this time. That whatever event happened to you no longer should have control over you. It's time to forgive. It's time to let go. It's time to say I'm sorry. It's time to move on past that because it's time to go somewhere. It's time to do something. Yes, God saved you so you can go to heaven, but he also saved you so you could be a shining light here on earth. We are blessed, but we are also called to be a blessing. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14, we just get done talking about the gifts of Jesus being called to full-time, the five-fold ministry. That we should no longer be children. Yikes. Calm down, Paul. 
Sunday morning. You don't need to hit me with that. I know. It's very sad. I'm sorry. Well, how do we consider ourselves children in the gospel? How do we consider ourselves children in church, in Christianity? This is how you know if you're a baby Christian. You're tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Not grounded in the truth. Just every wind of doctrine. The wind blows every which way. By the trickery of men. In the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. If I'm being honest, this scripture right here is terrifying to me as a head pastor. God, please, don't let me be a pastor that's doing the trickery of men. Please, God, don't let me just preach whatever doctrinal wind that I just pick up out of the scriptures. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, I listen to that, pastor. That sounds good. Let me preach it. God, please, don't ever let me have some cunning craftiness or deceitful plotting for my church and for the members of my congregation or the people of the community in this region. As a pastor, that's a very, very weighty, intense, scary scripture. God, please help me. As your pastor, please pray. <laughs> please pray for me. Please pray for the pastors that are here. We're doing this all together. That we can come together as one and help save a community, a generation, a region. Look at verse 15 though. But speaking the truth in love, how do we get out of being a baby Christian? Here we go. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies supplies according to the effective working by which every part, say that's me, every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Oh, that's my baby. Oh, <laughs> that makes sense. Um, <laughs> working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The truth in love is how you grow up in all things, personally, as a Christian. The truth in love. I can deliver truth to you, and it could hurt, and it could sting. You could have something on your face. You could be eating something, have something on your face, and I could walk up to you and say, goodness, you're ugly today. Your face, what's wrong with it? I mean, that's a truth, but that's definitely not in love. I could take you off to the side and say, hey, you got a little, little crumb on your face, a little coffee, got a little lipstick smear, clean that up, you know, don't want you to be embarrassed in front of your friends and family. Okay, thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, have a good day. There's a way that we can deliver truth that although it says that the Word of God is a sword that pierces that we can deliver that truth in love, that people can receive it, and that when we do that, we grow in our own lives. But it also says in verse 16 that we, as the body of Christ, can grow as well. So when you grow in your own personal walk with God and you come to church, you're building us up. You're growing this church 
when you grow. Every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You see how important this truth of the gospel is? You see how important your role is? You see how important this church is and the churches that are here in this community? Do you see how important it is that we don't get caught up inside of ourselves, that we don't just give up and say, you know what, God's not working today. He's busy. He doesn't care about me. I'm just going to do whatever I want this week. I'm going to do whatever I want this year. They hurt me, so therefore I'm going to go hurt others. They forgot about me, so forget them. No, no, no. There's, there's an important role that we all play. It's so important for you to be at church. It's so vital that each and every one of us be at church because when we grow on a day-to-day -day basis with God and then we come to church, we all build each other up. God, be with whoever that ambulance is for. Heal them, Father. I'm finishing now. Two more scriptures. Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does them, I will liken them to a wise man who built his house on the rock, the foundation, the truth, the cornerstone. And the rain, is that rain? <laughs> the rain descended, <laughs> the flood came, the winds blew and beat on that house. You feel like you're getting beat up? Hopefully not by me, not by your pastor. But in life, the rains just keep coming, the floods just keep coming, the winds just keep blowing, things just keep happening. But when you stand on the truth, you stand on the word of God, when you don't submit to those lies for even an hour, you believe the truth of the gospel and it continues with you, your house, it won't fall, for it was founded on the rock. I'm not going to read the second part of that because I believe by faith that I'm not part of people who are just building their houses on sand. I'm a part of a congregation of people who decide today I'm building my house, my foundation, my life on the rock, the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And I'm finishing with this scripture, Romans 5, 15, 13. It's a prayer that Paul is praying in a prayer that I pray over you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Some versions of the Bible say truth right there. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing in truth. That you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you may abound in hope. My prayer for you all today, I wrote this last night, my prayer for you all today is that you do not give up, but you grow in the knowledge in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that it can stay permanently with you. It is important that the truth of the gospel continues in you for your own personal life and the part that you play in the kingdom of God. Ain't nobody got time for that anymore. I ain't got time to deal with false teaching. I don't have time to deal with whatever is going on out in the world. I, I don't have time to deal with what the news and the media is telling me what I should believe, what I should or shouldn't do. I don't have time for that anymore. What I want to continue in from this day forward is the truth of the gospel. 
that my rock will be built on this. And whatever this says, I believe. Whatever this says, I'm going to do. Whatever this says, I'm going to step out in faith and believe. I'm not going to believe what's being said out there. I'm not going to believe what the doctor says. I'm not going to believe whatever's happening out there. I'm not going to believe those things. I'm going to believe the truth of the gospel. And I'm going to let this continue with me as we go forward. Amen? Let's stand up as we get ready to go. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. We are making the decision today that we're going to let it go. Those things that have been holding on to us, those things that we've been permanently holding on to, we're choosing not to give up, but keep believing. Keep believing what you said. Keep believing what you've told us. The visions, the prophecies, the word of God, you talking to us in the quietness of the night. We're going to choose to believe those things over whatever our natural world is saying. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And God, I'm seeing some negative things in my life. I'm seeing some negative things in the community, but I'm not going to believe those things. I'm going to believe what you said about my situation and about my community and about my region and about my household and about my church. I'm going to believe what you said, and I'm going to continue in those things because when I grow from a baby Christian into a, a mature Christian, I become more Christ-like, and I also become a benefit to the church and to the kingdom of God. Father, I thank you right now that you're blessing your people. The scripture says right now that they are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. They're blessed in the city and blessed in the field. They are blessed where they are right now, and they're blessed in the future that you're bringing them into. Father, right now, the scripture says, by your stripes, they are already healed. Your scripture says they have the mind of Christ. Your scripture says that the favor of God surrounds them like a shield. The scripture says that they have favor with God and with man. The scripture says that no weapon formed against them is going to prosper. The scripture says that any tongue that rises against them, that we have the power to condemn in the name of Jesus. Father, the scripture says that we are the salt and light of the earth. We are a city set on a hill that refuses to be hidden. We will go out and share this gospel message, Father. Bless your people, protect your people, bring them back safely. And Father, we just thank you for the souls that are coming on Christmas service next Sunday. We just thank you for the people that are coming, that you will be glorified, Father, that your name will be promoted, Father, and that salvations will occur when your name is lifted up on high. Now bless your people and protect them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you, and we'll see you all next Sunday. Take care, family. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.